Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it, and judge it to decide whether it should be set free <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the transcontinental podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, wearing a cardigan and slippers in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, wearing skinny jeans and a flowery shirt in <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. So in this podcast, we focus on fantastic cinema, sci-fi, horror and fantasy because, frankly, other genres bore us. Mm. So, Dan, how are you? Ah, I've been, I've been doing pretty well, except <laughs> I actually found this film that we will be covering in this episode impossible to get hold of. Oh. And I, I went on an epic uh, journey just try, <laughs> trying to find it <laughs> long story short i was on my my uh, my bike my bicycle and i i spent a good three hours <laughs> cycling around all the stores <laughs> in melbourne trying to find it and eventually <laughs> someone tipped me off that a certain streaming service uh, was streaming it so i signed ah. up to the free 30-day trial <laughs> So that's, <laughs> that's how I ended up watching this movie. Oh, thank goodness. Well, happy Halloween, I should say. Yes, and also uh, worth noting that this is our 13th episode for Halloween. <laughs> I know, our 13th episode. So you kind of feel like we should be covering a Friday the 13th movie, but actually we're covering a Halloween movie. <laughs> so maybe we should have done... <laughs> A crossover. There isn't one, is there? <laughs> oh, th- uh, there's a little bit of trivia about this film. Um, I think we, we'll talk oh. about it. <laughs> so what have we got in the mailbag this episode? Well, I actually had a question from my dear sister, mm. Caroline. Mm-hmm. Hello, Caroline. Shout out to Italy. And she she asked, how do we decide when a film is in the Oubliette? Ah, that's a very good question. I think, generally speaking, our rules were the film should have been a box office bomb or it should be a film that, although it might have been a success in one country, it has not gone on to become an international icon or has been completely forgotten. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, in the previous episode, we covered Black Sheep, which was reasonably successful within New Zealand, but in the rest of the world, not so much. So, also, we, we tend to also cover a, a lot of kind of lower budget films as well. Mm. And I don't know, I, I feel sometimes it's, it's just a judgment call <laughs> by ourselves, really. Often I pick films that I just haven't heard anyone talking about. Yeah. So I, I feel like they're, they're worthy of the oubliette. Yeah, things that I wish more people knew about. Things that I mention to people and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Mm. Great question, uh, Caroline. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, anything else in that mailbag? Well, I got a I got a message. It was actually on on the website Good Hit Records. <laughs> not <laughs> not even any of our social networks. Um, but anyway, a a user called Run Run Run, who I don't know his real name. So, but Run Run Run, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, he suggested uh, some movies, and one of those movies was uh, a film called Bubba Hotep. Oh, which, uh, I don't know whether you know about it, but it's been on my watch list for a while. It's a very, it looks like a very bizarre movie. It is it's starring Bruce Campbell. Mm. Uh, who plays a Elvis impersonator. Uh, I think he thinks he's Elvis. Oh, yes. I think it's a retirement home and it features Elvis and a black man who thinks he's JFK. Ah, okay. <laughs> that sounds crazy. <laughs> and, they, and they do battle with a mummy. So, yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> wow, Okay. I would love to check that out. <laughs> I have very fond memories of it, but I watched it a very long time ago when it first Ooh. came out. So I'd be keen to revisit that. That's yeah. a good idea. Run, run, run. Yeah, nice suggestion. Mm. So, Conrad, what is the film that we will be taking a look at today? Ooh, well, obviously it's a Halloween movie. So let's mm. go over to the Oubliette and find out. Yes. Over by the Oubliette here. It's that William Shatner lurking in the corner. Where? Oh, he's gone. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, I think I can hear some singing coming from the oubliette. Ooh. Oh. Oh, isn't that sweet? Oh, it's a nice little ditty. Yeah. Oh, and they're, they're offering up a movie. Let's, let's see what it is. <laughs> okay. It's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to a good scare. What do you have, Conrad? So... Our movie for Halloween is Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later, which was suggested by the Super Horror Brothers, actually, when I asked them the question, which Halloween movie do you think is the most forgotten and underappreciated? And they suggested this one. Mm. So that's what we're looking at. It's a 1998 movie directed by Steve Miner, who's probably best known in this genre for directing a couple of the Friday the 13th movies. Well, that was my uh, relation to Friday the 13th. Ah, <laughs> yes, there's a bit of a crossover. And until recently, Inflation Adjusted, it was the second most successful Halloween movie. Oh, right. After the original itself. But I suspect... That will be blown out of the water by the movie that's currently in the cinema, mm. the new Halloween movie 2018, which I saw yesterday. Ooh. I can make some <laughs> some comments about that one as well. So what happens in this Halloween movie? So this one is a direct sequel to Halloween 1 and 2. It ignores 4, 5, 6... Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, I a, think that's it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it ignores four, five, and six, and it has Jamie Lee Curtis returning to the role of Laurie Strode, the final girl from one and two. And she has changed her name, faked her death, and she is now the headmistress of a boarding school. And she's clearly a traumatized individual, but she's trying to move on with her life. But meanwhile, I'm afraid Michael Myers comes back on the scene. I'm not quite sure where he comes from. 
the ether. I don't know what he's been doing since Halloween 2 when he burned to death in a corridor, but <laughs> he reappears, breaks into the uh, home of the nurse from Halloween's 1 and 2, mm-hmm. and rifles through her drawers. And it, it turns out that she, in, in direct violation of data protection, has patient records in her home <laughs> and f- finds... Uh, Laurie Strode's current identity and whereabouts and so goes to the boarding school to terrorise Laurie and her 17-year-old son who's played by Josh Hartnett and yes, another night of Halloween-themed hijinks ensues (laughs) A lot of slow walking and screaming (laughs) (laughs) Yes, happy Halloween (laughs) Ah, Can't wait to check it out Okay we're back so halloween h2o dan what did you think well (laughs) because you hadn't seen this movie and i don't think you've seen many of the halloween movies either have you no i don't i'd only seen the original one and two because i i don't know i i had this impression with a lot of horrors especially horrors that have massive amounts of sequels Mm. that all the sequels are terrible which is generally true yeah so it's not a bad rule and i have attempted to watch many other franchises so i've seen every single nightmare on elm street i've seen every single hellraiser apart from the most recent one Mm. and they're uh, you know they're they're okay (laughs) (laughs) um so i kind of assumed this would be the case with halloween so i've never seen past two right and this movie is the epitome of 90s horror slasher (laughs) it's like they took everything that was cheesy and cliche about 90s slasher and put it in this movie Mm. and i i feel like a lot of it was to do with scream and how successful that was yeah and which is funny because Scream is a parody of slasher movies and kind of pokes fun at slasher movies. Mm. And then all of these other movies started copying Scream. It's mm. like, that, what? Yeah. <laughs> so this movie in particular has a all-star 90s cast of Josh Hartnett, mm. uh, Michelle Williams, and... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, although Joseph Gordon-Levitt dies in the first... <laughs> before his credit even appears. <laughs> before, yeah, before his credit appears. I think it's within eight minutes of the film, he's already uh, been killed off. As well as his companion, um, Brandon Williams, who plays Tony, who I'd never seen before in Ronnie Never <laughs> Never since, no. Yeah, it, for me, it felt like a Halloween movie made for Halloween fans. And watching it without any knowledge of Halloween, you just would think it was a cheesy, cliche slasher Mm. that had zero substance. (laughs) But if you had known anything about Halloween and its history and the characters, it was a bit of a crowd pleaser. And it kind of knew that people watching it because it was... The kind of the finale of the franchise. Mm. So they didn't really try to make things interesting. I don't think they really tried to make things original. It was just kind of lots of references to the previous Halloween movies and also 
uh, Psycho, it seems. A lot of Psycho references. <laughs> Oddly enough, yeah. <laughs> because one of the characters was played by Janet Lee. Is that her name? Yeah, who is Jamie Lee Curtis's mum. Yes. And is re- partly responsible for the birth of the slasher genre because she was Marion Crane. She got murdered in the shower by Norman Bates's mother, shall we say? Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to spoil things. But yeah, so she was the origin of the slasher movie, possibly you could say. And here she is playing Jamie Lee Curtis's secretary, I think. And yeah, she has that incredibly knowing scene where I think she actually says to her, if I can be maternal for a moment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She says to her daughter before tottering back to her psycho car (laughs) it is the car that she's driving in psycho and it has the same number plate which stands for norman f bates while john ottman plays the main title theme from psycho on the soundtrack (laughs) um so yeah it's kind of trying to tap into that postmodernism that came along with scream which was what 1996 Mm. i I mean i tend to think and you can argue with me because i'm an 80s kid you're a 90s kid. Mm. There's a slight age difference there. We won't say how many years it is. <laughs> but I just tend to think in terms of horror and sci-fi and fantasy, the 90s is pretty much a wasteland of terrible movies. <laughs> and Halloween H2O just feels like such a product of that era, such a desperate attempt to plug into the success of Scream and be postmodern, and having something as ridiculous as Jamie Lee Curtis's mother and the star of Psycho driving her Psycho car and so on, but not really going full bore for it, not really being as openly mocking and self-referential. It doesn't really push fully into that territory. So you get this kind of standard Halloween movie with a couple of odd knowing moments plugged into it. It's not fully successful on even capturing the zeitgeist that was available for 90s movies, which was the Kevin Williamson postmodern approach. Mm. I mean, I obviously have to disagree, but the 90s being a wasteland. (laughs) You liked the 90s? I mean, I, I love the 90s, but I think that... Horror was not good in the 90s. I mean, no. I, I think I, I have a lot of nostalgia for the horror from the 90s. And also, it was quite tame in comparison. Oh, yeah. 80s was just full on over the top. And 90s, in comparison, just wasn't quite there. And and because, you know, CGI was still beginning. So any time there was CGI in any movies in the 90s, it looked horrendous Mm -hmm. there's a cgi shot in this movie i don't know if you spotted it i didn't spot it but i did read about like there were yeah some cgi shots in this um but i don't know i grew up in the 90s so i can relate to the fashion and i can relate to the this very image conscious two-dimensional characters (laughs) (laughs) I, i i felt like in the 90s it was very very superficial in terms of I don't know, it's hard to explain, but this movie felt very fake. Mm. None of the characters seemed that afraid. All the sets looked like sets. <laughs> Even if you look at the school, the boarding school that they go to, mm. to me, 
It looked like an Italian villa. It didn't look like a school at all. And and it almost felt like they thought, oh, we've got these kids who were obviously 18, 20-year-olds, mm. and then they put them in a classroom that looked like it was made for like elementary school. So with these tiny wooden desks and, <laughs> and blackboards and, and these tiny rooms, and it, it felt like full-grown people in this like <laughs> kindergarten it was ridiculous and yeah everything felt like it was from the set of beverly hills 90210 or something Just <laughs> a lot of very posh californian architecture that mm-hmm. had not a shred of realism whatsoever and i don't know i i felt like i was watching a movie i didn't feel immersed in this terrifying event uh, it was very cookie cutter characters mm. that were, you know, the black guy, the promiscuous couple, all the cliches that you expect in, in in slasher horror movies were in this movie. But even that is fairly tame. Like you, you mentioned the promiscuous couple. It doesn't quite have the seedy edge that you get in, say, the original Halloween movie where... Laurie's two friends are supposed to be babysitting and they're sneaking their boyfriends in for sex. And one of them even mentions her charge. Lindsay is upstairs sleeping and I think the guy says something about ripping her clothes off and getting her involved as well. Oh, yes. And she's like eight. Whereas in this one, that couple, I mean, what, what are their names? Charlie and Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe that Charlie and Sarah are together for starters. (laughs) I'm sorry. That guy did not get that girl. I'm sorry. (laughs) But he kind of just seems like the nerdy, creepy guy that mentions sex all the time, but they're not actually doing it. Mm. And notably, nobody's actually doing anything. This is the weird thing that I didn't understand. So the setup for the movie is Michael appears out of nowhere, Mm. raids this nurse's house, kills Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his friend and the nurse, and then heads for Laurie's place, just at the time when everybody's going off on some trip somewhere that Laurie's son, John, I had to look this up as well because... (laughs) (laughs) They're just such boring characters, you don't even remember what their names are. He wants to go, but because she's been traumatised and she's suffering from post-traumatic stress, she's very protective of him and won't let him go anywhere and lives in this gated boarding school. school. So he wants to go. In the end, when she finally gives up and lets him go after they've had an argument about moving on and facing your demons... He doesn't actually want to go because his girlfriend's been grounded as well. So they and the other couple, Sarah and Charlie, stay behind to have this secret party, quote-unquote, which seems to consist of about 200 candles (laughs) in a basement. I thought that as well. (laughs) The first words that came out of my mouth when when they had (laughs) the millions of candles was, is this the craft? What is this? (laughs) And also they raid the fridge and they just, they put like what seems like 300 chicken nuggets on the tray (laughs) upstairs. I don't know. It's the tamest party ever. I mean, they do more washing up than they do actual partying. It's just ridiculous. Yeah.
I I mean, I felt like this movie really was just a a cash cow. Like they were just cashing in on the finale of the franchise.、Mm. They wanted to get as many viewers as possible, so it had a. I can't even imagine what the rating was. It would have been pretty low, PG maybe even. Well, it's it's rated R on my copy for terror, violence, gore, and language. <laughs> Did you spot、but、any? How? <laughs> There was a bit of language, I guess, but the gore was very minimal. Yeah, you only really saw two killings in the entire film. There would be the scene where where Michael Myers would. Be about to kill someone, and then it would cut,、mm. and then two scenes later they would discover the body displayed in some horrific way. But it wasn't—I don't know—I didn't find it graphic at all. Like it did, even like Scream. The Scream movies are pretty brutal in comparison. Yes, definitely. Now here's where I admit something to you, which may it may test our friendship. Okay, <laughs> I spent. A good couple of hours in preparation for this podcast, making a spreadsheet of all of Michael Myers' murders.、Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> because I thought that was a healthy way to spend my time. So, from what I can tell, and I did get a lot of this from from a wiki,、uh-huh. he only kills six people in this movie. Right. He only killed five in the original, but after that, it adhered to the rules that were mentioned in Scream in Kevin Williamson's Scream, which is the rules of the sequel. You've got to up the body count.、Uh-huh. So he kills something like nine people in two, seventeen in four, wow, twelve in five, thirteen in six, but then only six、uh-huh. in H two O, which yeah does sort of speak to the nineties and how. Tame they were,、hmm. and the other thing I was trying to compare was how many of the killings occur on screen versus off screen, and how many of those are men versus women.、Uh-huh. So of the six, four of them are men. He only kills two women in this movie, but both times you actually see it happen on screen. So whereas out of Charlie and Sarah, for example, you have this really long. Tedious suspense scene where he's sticking his hand in a waste disposal to get a corkscrew,、uh-huh. and nothing happens. Yes, and then he bumps into Michael Myers, and you cut, and then he just becomes a gruesome body to be spotted by a woman later, and lots of screaming, which is Sarah. But Sarah, on the other hand, has this protracted, awful. Dragged around on the floor and has a leg broken in a dumbwaiter,、uh-huh. <laughs> and it's a really brutal, awful scene with her begging for her life and so on. So there, you know, there is a difference in the way that it treats men and women because again, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his friend die off screen, but the nurse is brutalized on screen. Yes. Uh, so the only man that you get to see killed on screen is Laurie's new squeeze, the guidance counselor Will, played by Adam Arkin,、uh-huh. who is stabbed from behind with such force that Michael picks him up off the floor, which sort of strained credibility when he did it with a thin nurse in Halloween Two. It really strains credibility when it's a forty-year-old heavy-set man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean another thing. So that was the reference to Halloween too. Lots of references in this movie,、mm. but I just didn't find this movie that terrifying.、Mm. And it was mainly due to the fact that 
I don't know. Okay, I don't know much about the the Halloween movies, mm. and I know that the killer Michael Myers is played by different actors every time, or has been. Yeah. Uh, but this actor just doesn't seem very big. He seemed quite average height, <laughs> yeah. even skinnier build than in, in a normal man. Yeah, he's quite lean. Um, so when he was walking towards the characters and chasing them at an excruciatingly slow pace, mm. he just wasn't terrifying. No. He just looked like a, a weaselly man walking really slowly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just wasn't scared. No, I wasn't either. And, and not in the new one either, which we can get on to if we <laughs> wanted to. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, the, Michael Myers, is, is, it's not good in this film, I don't think. I mean... It's he's played by a stunt man called Chris Durand, who was also played Ghostface in one of the Scream movies, perhaps two. Oh, half right. of the time, because always in the Scream movies there were sort of eight people doing the murders or something ridiculous when the, <laughs> the final reveal comes out, yes. and and that works for Ghostface because for me Ghostface was never about sort of walking slowly and implacably towards his victims. He was running around and getting smacked in the face and falling downstairs. He was always a very lithe young yeah. guy, I think. Yes. Whereas Michael, well, he's called The Shape, and he is supposed to be an imposing figure. Yes. And strangely eerie. And the fact that he never runs and just walks slowly towards his victims is kind of disturbing because you just get this sense that he knows he's going to get you eventually. So mm. he just takes his time. And they try to do that in this, but it's just not particularly frightening. And they also try to do the thing in the original movie where Michael would keep appearing in the background outside a window or something. And then when the character went back, he wouldn't be there. And, and then, But in this one, it's not scary at all because you sort of see him step into position and then you see him step out again and then you see him step back again i think it's when he's sort of appearing outside the windows of yeah. ll cool j's security guard hut yeah I, that scene not was, scary it was hilarious to me <laughs> a lot of this movie was more funny than scary and yeah, yeah, exactly. Seeing Michael Myers step in shot and step out of shot, that's comical. Yeah. He's supposed to be unpredictable. You can't you're not supposed to see him sidle backwards and forwards. No. As if he's standing in frame and out of frame like he's in a movie. Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's supposed to be frightened whenever you see him, not just see him walk around slowly in the background looking at the camera <laughs> like it's ridiculous yeah it's not scary at all another thing that really irritated me that was supposed to be scary about this movie is the tremendous amount of jump scares oh. so every half a minute there would just be a ridiculously loud noise that was supposed to scare you, but there was never anything scary about the noises. No. Nothing at all. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is actually responsible for the first one. He bumps into the nurse wearing a Friday the 13th hockey mask. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Another reference. <laughs> the blame for the first pointless jump scare is firmly in your lap, Mr. Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, and and I didn't count all the jump scares, but it must have been over at least over twenty. Yeah, <laughs> it was a ridiculous amount, and some of them were so stupid, like just kids running past, and they just turned the volume right up to eleven at that point. Yeah, it's just kids, and then another time where some other teenagers bump into a window. There's a scene where Laurie just bumps into Norma, the Norma character. And then just loud sound, Mm. loud orchestral hit. It just got irritating. And each jump scare wasn't scary. I know we've complained about modern movies using jump scares Mm. to excess, but this was ridiculous. And there was no build-up at all. There wasn't even the obvious take all the sounds away jump scare. No. It was just... Loud sound in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. Or she would cross the street. Loud sound. Or she would pick (laughs) up a wine glass. Loud sound. It just (laughs) really got irritating. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right, actually. It's a good point because, I mean, yeah, we do talk about Quiet, Quiet Bang movies, which is the thing that we joked about with Mark Kermode with The Nun, Quiet, Quiet Nun. Yes. And... It is an irritating trend, and as Kermode says, it's a genre of horror filmmaking for people who hate horror movies, uh-huh. who just want to go and be cattle prodded occasionally. But even in those, there's you know there's the art of misdirection and dropping the soundtrack down and surprising you. In this movie, Josh Hartnett will just suddenly leap into frame and say hello to LL Cool J, and you'll get a stinger. <laughs> And it's pointless. I know. Entirely I know. Point, pointless and really irritating. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I, I wish I'd counted it. I wish. I wish I'd uh, um, had a tally of how many jump scares there were because it, it just got out of hand. Really out of hand. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it, especially the one with um, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Because that was actually kind of a tense moment where he's in in the house investigating and then Mm. just like an ironing board falls. Like, come on. (laughs) What? I mean, the horror aspect of the movie didn't even really start until halfway through the film. Mm. It was a good 40, 45 minutes into the film where things actually started ramping up. It's like, oh, finally, Michael Myers is at the boarding school. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, although truth be told, that's very similar to the original, which has at least sort of 60 minutes of its 80 minute running time, just getting to know Laurie and her friends and having a few little run-ins with Michael where he stood outside the school or he stood Mm. on the pathway in front of them or he drives past them in a car, but it... But it's actually building tension. At least he's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I and I felt like the score in this one did not add tension. No. It just filled in the blanks to how a horror movie should sound mm. and tick the boxes and that's it. It did the bare minimum, whereas the original like Halloween one and two, the score really drives the film mm. and the fact that there is a lot of, a lot of scenes where it's from the first person point of view of Michael Myers. So you feel like you're, you're, you are lurking in in the bushes in his shoes. Mm. Whereas with this movie, it never did that. There was one scene, I think towards the start where it was in that kind of first person point of view. And that was it. No, you never had the first person view. You never had the breathing in the mask. Yeah. 
he never made an imposing figure. He never, he never did anything particularly um, terrifying. I mean, on the score, it, you make a very good point that it never does anything other than what a horror score should do. And and even I'd refine that by saying that it does what a 90s horror score should do. So John Ottman is the credited composer on this film and he had composed a full score and it was put on a preview screening and the producers didn't like it. And I think they didn't like it because it was very detailed, very heavily orchestrated, very flowing and beautiful, quite different actually from what you would expect from all of the stripped down synthesizer scores you'd had for Halloween up until that point, either composed by John Carpenter or his associate Alan Howarth. On the temp track, they'd had Marco Beltrami. They wanted it to be Scream. They really wanted it to be Scream. So they had loads of cues from that movie on the temp track. And in the end, that's what they stuck in the movie. So you hear bits of John Ottman and you hear lots of Marco Beltrami, either just straight on needle drops from Scream or new cues that he composed in about a week and just threw on there. Mm. And the result not surprisingly, is a mess mm. that does not work in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I heard, um, I, I read, and I'm not sure whether this is true, but they use uh, the tracks that Marco Beltrami had done for Scream 1, Scream 2, and Mimic. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah and they'd also highly edited some of the music that, um, Ottman had done mm. and just used it in other scenes. So you taken uh, music from one scene, use it from a, com- a completely different scene. So yeah, I guess thematically the music was very bland because mm. all of it wasn't written for this movie. Mm. Yeah, it didn't add anything at all, sonic like soundtrack wise. No, there is one moment where it works really well. And it's probably the best shot and the best moment in the movie. And it's it's kind of what the poster was sort of advertising, what they were planning with this. is 20 years later, Michael's coming back for Laurie and she's going to fight her own corner. She's going to fight back. So you have this moment after a few people have been killed in variously fairly boring scenes. They escape from the school and when they're just at the gate and about to leave she decides that she's going to take her son's advice and face her demons and not run away anymore. And she's going to go back to face down Michael. And she grabs a fire axe and sends her son and his girlfriend on their way. Mm -hmm. And she climbs up this hill and the camera cranes up and she's backlit and and the music sort of builds and builds and builds, and she stands there outlined with this axe and screams, Michael. And then the music hits with the Halloween theme. And people were cheering in the theatres, and you can see why. That is is a really well-orchestrated moment. It's kind of what I was expecting to get yesterday, watching Halloween 2018. Okay. I didn't get it. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah, there is no correlating moment in this new movie (laughs) okay and on the commentary jamie lee curtis is very pleased with that moment because her only comment on it was boom (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so i think she likes it oh right 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 so it's it's kind of an iconic moment it's the final girl faces down 
her monster. She's no longer going to be terrorized by him. She's going to uh, chase him down and, and dispatch him, which was sort of the battle that the film is selling. And, and then, but then you just get prolonged sequences of her hiding under one of four tables in a very small dining room, <laughs> which has to be the most anticlimactic climax for this great horror legendary battle mm. I can imagine. It's yeah. just terrible. I mean, all of the scenes with Michael Myers where they were supposed to be terrifying, I felt that they were very laughable and a lot of moments where I, I just ended up face palming. Like, what what are you doing? <laughs> every pretty much every scene with Michael Myers chasing after these people I would ask, why are they doing this? What is happening right mm. now? Like, why would Laurie open up a drawer of knives and then throw them all <laughs> on the ground? Why would you do that? Why would you make it harder for you to grab the knives? And then after that, why would you just fling them at Michael Myers with none of them being in a and anywhere near his vicinity. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and then after she's stabbed him about 18 times and he's gone backwards over a balcony, which is his signature move, Yes, she's left with one knife and she drops it. Now, surely she knows Michael Myers well enough at this point not to drop the knife. I mean, this is the mistake she made in the first movie. Yeah. And everybody shouted at her then. I mean, surely everyone was screaming at her in the in the theatre this time. And, and I had high, such high hopes for this because at the beginning, the nurse who survived Halloween 1 and 2, mm. she shows some good sense. She turns up, her home has been broken into, and when she peers inside the door, she hears a noise. She does not investigate it. In fact, she quite pointedly says, fuck this, and goes next door to find <laughs> yeah. somebody else. And even when she, afterwards, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his friend have convinced her there's nobody there, everything is fine. Uh -huh. She goes back in and again, she sees a shadow passing by her back door or something. And again says, screw this, and starts trying to get out of the house. Yeah. And I thought, okay, this is postmodern. These are people who are aware of how these movies work and they're not going to make this, these sorts of mistakes that yes. characters make in these movies. But that's all the pre-title sequence. I don't know if that's the only bit that Kevin Williamson wrote and then afterwards it was written by somebody else because then it just becomes a litany of stupid decisions yes. that make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Now it's time for Random Trivia. Dan, what have you got for us in terms of trivia from Halloween H2O? Well, uh, you've actually mentioned a few of the things I've already I have written down. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a bit of trivia with uh, the scene that the two girls, Molly and Sarah, they're in their dorm room. They're, they're watching a movie on the TV mm. and it happens to be a, a clip from Scream 2. Yes. But apparently originally uh, the movie that they had on the TV was So I Married an Axe Murderer. So the joke was that because in that movie, Mike Myers, the actor, uh, plays the character in that. So there was that correlation between Mike Myers and Michael Myers, which I always thought was hilarious when I found that out. I mean, imagine if an uh, actor came along that was called 
Jason Voorhees. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd want to change that, wouldn't you? I would, yes. Yeah. Yeah, on the commentary, Jamie Lee Curtis mentions that she really wanted Mike Myers to cameo in the film. Ah. She was going to have a moment where she bumped into him on the street and did a double take. Right, right. <laughs> Tonally, I don't see how that would fit into this movie. No, no, not at all. But apparently Mike Myers wanted nothing to do with it. And I I guess I can see why. Yeah. If your name is similar to the name of a serial killer (laughs) in a movie, you probably don't want to draw attention to it. No, not at all. (laughs) The one little piece of trivia I found that I found quite interesting was the actor who plays Charlie, Adam Han Bird. He mentioned in the interviews in the making of that... In the original draft of the film before Jamie Lee Curtis got involved and it shifted to this whole epic battle between Laurie and Michael. Yes. It was going to be about a copycat killer in the boarding school and his character was going to be the killer. Oh. So that kind of gives you more of a sense of why he was cast, I think. Him being sort of the, the yeah. creepy, oversexed nerd who suddenly turns out to be a killer in the third act makes a lot more sense than him being the oversexed boyfriend of Sarah. But there we go. Yeah. I feel like that would have completely changed the Halloween franchise, though, not having Michael Myers as the killer. Mm. I don't know. I think a lot of fans would have really hated that. Well, it didn't work in Friday the 13th, famously. All oh, right. <laughs> When they tried to have a a copycat Jason, it did not go down well. So he had to be resurrected as a zombie in the next movie. (laughs) Whereas in Halloween, they just retcon and come up with a completely different timeline, seemingly every 20 years at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our trivia. So... Conrad, you mentioned something about the mask. Yes. Well, you were saying about counting crappy jump scares. Uh, how about counting Michael Myers' masks? Because <laughs> there are at least three in this movie. Because for some reason, even though the mask has always been the most simple thing, which is a William Shatner mask from Star Trek slightly altered and painted white, Mm -hmm. they could not get it right for this movie. (laughs) There are three different masks. There's one uh, from Halloween 6, which they used whilst they argued between the director and the producer as to which mask they were going to use. So Mm -hmm. they used the Halloween 6 mask for a few scenes. Then they use a a mask created by K&B, which the director wanted, which was very, very white with sort of orange fright wig hair poking out of it that looks crappy in every scene that it's in. Just horrible. And then they use one that was made probably at great expense by Stan Winston for various close-ups that they reshot later. And uh, apparently they couldn't get to all of them. So there is one 
shot in the movie where they just didn't have time to reshoot it or something, where there is a computer-generated Michael Myers mask. Which which scene is that? I don't know. It's it's towards <laughs> the end, and it's just a medium close-up of him looking up. It might be when he's wounded by oh, okay. Jamie Lee. I can't remember, but it, it really sticks out to me because it just looks as though this has been sort of pasted on over the top of the film oh, no. and it's sort of hanging in space. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> CGI in 19. 1998 is was not what it has become so to add to the fact that you've got this lean guy that is not imposing and just doesn't do a very good job of being the shape you also have this stupid mask that changes from one scene to another that's ridiculous i mean surely that should be the first thing you would sort out before you even start filming (laughs) you'd think have a mask that is the same for every scene yeah another thing that was ridiculous I don't know what it was with the actor that played Michael Myers, but he felt like to me like just a mime, like a mime (laughs) playing a serial killer. Because there were a few (laughs) scenes where he kind of throws his hands in the air as if he's like... (laughs) Especially the scene where I think he's pinned to the tree at the end and Jamie Lee Curtis has got the axe. And he's kind of like holding his head and like shaking it around. It just... really took me out of the scene and and Jamie Lee Curtis was very good and very serious and then you've got this pantomime Michael Myers kind of flailing around <laughs> and just not <laughs> yeah there is a reason for that though yes I, I do know the reason yeah the, the theory is that that is not Michael Myers that's an emergency medical technician who's been stuffed into the Michael Myers costume. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis can axe his head off and you can get the payoff that, uh, yay, Laurie has prevailed, hurrah. Uh, And they can still do another sequel where they reveal that, oh no, it wasn't Michael. Michael brained an EMT, stuffed Mm. him in his costume and then this person never found a way to make it clear that he was an EMT and not a serial killer and never tried to get the mask off either But it, <laughs> and it, couldn't speak. Okay, so let's say that happened. So Michael Myers is has been thrown off a balcony. He's on this table uh, and then Laurie goes away. When the ambulance arrives and, and the police arrives, Michael Myers has the time to somehow knock out an EMT Change his, swap his clothes, <laughs> put his mask on him, somehow, I guess, cover his mouth and then <laughs> stuff him into a body bag <laughs> and then go away and hide and no one noticed. What? How is that? How is that possible? Not at all, which is why Halloween Resurrection sucks ass and <laughs> <laughs> nobody should ever watch it because that is a a terrible terrible movie and jamie lee appears in it only because she was contractually obliged to do so right right they really should have let her kill michael at the end of this one and have done with it yeah it was the payoff she deserved i mean i actually think of all the many elements in this movie jamie lee curtis is as always very very good and much better than the material that she's given and she plays 
somebody suffering from post-traumatic stress very well, I think. Mm. Much better than in the new movie. Okay. Well, see, this movie has her as, you know, she started a new life. She's changed her name. She has a responsible job. She's the headmistress of this school. She looks as though she's a good one as well, who relates to the kids really well. But she also shows clear signs of substance abuse. It appears that she's an alcoholic. She's got a bathroom cabinet full of pills and Mm -hmm. she wakes up screaming and her son has to rush to her and, and look after her. And she's also smothering him. And struggling with with letting him have a life of his own because hers is damaged. (laughs) And that seems sort of like a good balance and it works well and her payoff at the end works really well. The new movie has her as this survivalist whose child was taken away from her because she pulled a full-on Sarah Connor from Terminator 2 and Uh, raised her child to be a killing machine (laughs) waiting for Michael Myers' return, despite the fact that he was institutionalised throughout. But anyway, so she's this crazy, wild, grey-haired survivalist with uh, a cabin that's tricked out with floodlights and a secret room and jars and jars of pickled vegetables Mm. (laughs) and a stack of guns. And it just seems less like a real person than the person that she plays in H2O, I would Mm. say. So I actually think this movie does that job better. I mean, there are lots of little subtle scenes, like the scene where she's in the restaurant with Adam Arkin And while he's in the bathroom or something, she asks for another glass of white wine so that she can drink the one that she already has quickly and give it to the waiter and have another one there ready to carry on and her Mm -hmm. date won't know that she's had two glasses. It's little subtle things like that that I think actually in that case was her idea. Right. So some of the human drama sort of works but it's surrounded by the most banal 90s slasher movie that you can imagine, which is a shame. Yeah, I, I the characters themselves, by themselves, were well-rounded and kind of developed. But yeah, as you said, surrounded by the most atrocious set design, mm-hmm. terrible cliches and horror, terrible Michael Myers. As a viewer, you just didn't believe this was really happening. You know, this wasn't a terrifying thing. This was just a film made to please the fans Mm. and have a final conclusion to the franchise. Which, unfortunately, it didn't manage because here it is back again, Uh, 20 years later, (laughs) with yet another final showdown that ignores all of the events of Halloween's 2 through whatever, including H2O. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, it ignores everything after Halloween and just uh, imagines her with a completely different family in a completely different circumstance. Yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. Welcome back to that very special time of the podcast, the Mobley Awards, where we nominate a bunch of our favorite things in a number of amazingly (laughs) fantastic categories (laughs) as always we start off with our favorite quote conrad what was yours well again it's it's another case of my favorite parts of the movie happening in the first eight minutes so 
It's the cranky old chain-smoking nurse who is challenged by Joseph Gordon-Levitt's friend with the very 90s socially conscious. Has anyone told you second-hand smoke kills? To which she replies, yeah, but they're all dead. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it was such a common thing in 90s movies to always comment about how bad smoking was. Yes, very much so. And if a character was going off the rails, they'd start smoking. That was how you knew that they were having a hard time. But now nobody smokes ever. No. So um, how about you with favourite quote? Or have I stolen yours? No. So the quote I had was just ridiculous because it was just highly inappropriate. So the whole school has gone on their field trip and it's just the four remaining students. And the teacher will... Uh, Mr. Brennan, as they refer to him, mm. um, goes to check on the dorm room and the two girls are there, Sarah and Molly, and he just asks them, what are your plans for tonight? And Sarah says, well, we thought we'd hit the town, pick up some guys, you know, drop some roofies in their drinks, have a very date rape <laughs> evening. And he replies, <laughs> sounds good. And then Molly says, care to join us? And then <laughs> Mr. Brennan says, I can't. I'm having my nipples pierced. <laughs> <laughs> and a very kind of 90s social commentary. Yeah, and the, and the school teachers that are just really cool and down with the kids. Oh, yes. They're down, they're trendy, <laughs> they're hip. Uh, so how about our most 90s moment? Did you have something for that? I mean, I guess the clothing. Mm. This will probably double as my for best hair and costumes as well. So a lot of flannel everywhere. Mm. Everyone's wearing flannel. Uh, And everyone's doing that thing. And I also dressed like this in the 90s where you'd wear a T-shirt and then you'd just wear a long-sleeved button-up shirt over the T-shirt but never button it up. Mm. And it would always be oversized as well. So this huge flannel shirt over a T-shirt. Uh, was was a very 90s trend. (laughs) I remember it well. Yeah, for for me it would be just the post-modernist references, just the fact that the film is just one constant stream of post-modern references and trying desperately to be Scream Mm. and failing miserably. It's so desperately trying to be Scream that it's even using the music from Scream. How how desperate can you get... (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did give the script to Kevin Williamson to rewrite and uh, he did rewrite it, but he didn't get a credit because the original writer wasn't willing to come to an arrangement on that. So he gets an executive producer credit instead and moved on to focusing on launching Dawson's Creek instead. On the best hair and costumes, you've already mentioned the abundance of flannel. For me, the award for best hair has to go to Josh Hartnett who made a thing of trying to destroy his hair quite purposely. So, and I admire him for this. He said that he hated the fact that every time he saw something that was supposed to be about high school students, that they would always look amazing and perfectly quaffed with great hair and great outfits and accessorising. And he said that he was 19 when he made this movie and his memory was very fresh still and that high school students looked like shit. So (laughs) he would always 
mess up his costume, have one part of his shirt hanging out. He he looks a mess in the movie, and after the makeup lady had finished perfecting him, he would make a mess of himself and pull his hair everywhere so that bits of it stick out at the back, ah. and then cut bits of it off so that his hair his haircut looks terrible. But he's doing it on purpose because he thinks that that's a more accurate representation of high school students. And the fact that a, a young actor embarking upon his Hollywood career would try to look bad when he is such a handsome guy like Josh Hartnett and could quite easily just go the easy route and just be a heartthrob. And he just wasn't interested in that. And the way that his career has developed since then has shown that he is just not interested mm. in being a sex object. Yeah, I really respect that. I think that's great. So That's really interesting because I did notice that he did look scruffy in the sense that I dressed and, and also my friends would dress exactly the same because in the 90s mm-hmm. it was actually more fashionable to look mm-hmm. scruffier and to not yeah. t- not t- tuck in your shirt and to have your pants falling off your waist and to have ripped <laughs> yeah. jeans and that was trendy so for him to mm. do that was a good choice that's a genuine award there i think we're not <laughs> mocking i think no, we're not. i think he deserves this one <laughs> <laughs> great Good good stuff, Josh. So, a favourite scene. Is there a scene in this movie you actually like? <laughs> well, there's one shot that I love in this movie. And mm. I think it was used in all the posters and I'm not sure. Um, but there's a shot where the kids have gone through this gate and they've managed to go behind this door and they shut the door and it's just got this circular window and then Michael Myers... His head is right against it, Mm. and so is Laurie's on the other side. And the look of absolute terror on her face Mm. is, oh, it's such an iconic shot, Mm. but there's none other (laughs) in the entire movie, and everything is bland and cliché after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. And for me, it's the one that I already mentioned, which is her standing there with the axe screaming his name out. I think that is just the one moment in this movie that actually delivers on what it was selling to begin with. Right, right, right. But uh, yeah, nothing after that. (laughs) Uh, Cliché, most cliched horror moment for me would have to be her dropping the knife after she's Uh. temporarily incapacitated the killer and I'm very disappointed about that because I really think Jamie Lee should have known better Mm, (laughs) right right I mean obviously cliche moments will include the huge amount of jump scares just every 30 Mm. seconds but I also noticed every single door creaked every single door every (laughs) cupboard everything that opened that was on a hinge made a big scary horror creaking sound (laughs) (laughs) oh i didn't notice that yeah wow and because it's halloween we shall return to a category that we often skip over because there is none but fake blood star rating for how would you rate the blood in this movie dan um, it was very tame. 
Uh, so the entire movie was very tame in terms of the gore and the blood. So I would rate this one star. Uh, very, very <laughs> watery blood as well. Um, mm. It just didn't look very convincing. And every time there was a killing, it was quite small, very minimal as mm. well. So I don't know. Mm. It's a horror movie. It's a Halloween movie. Yeah. Surely they should have gone a bit further with that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, famously, the original doesn't have a drop of blood in it, I don't oh, think. Oh, doesn't but it? Not, well, when he stabs his sister, she she conveniently smears her breasts with blood whilst the camera's staring at the knife, which is a part of oh. the, the opening that I've always loved, that while you're stabbing somebody, because it's a point of view shot, yes. he's stabbing his sister, but he takes a moment to admire his swing. I don't know <laughs> why the camera pans off to look at his uh. hand flashing by. But yeah, and then you go back and his sister magically has tomato ketchup all over her breasts. Mm. Um but thereafter, I think the the murders are particularly bloodless. Right. So it it was only the sequels where they just started throwing buckets of the stuff around. <laughs> okay. So, but this one paired it right back again, and I think it's all part of that '90s blandness, and also that this was a bigger budget production. They were mm. probably going for a bigger audience. Yes. So finally, the scene that you found the funniest, intentionally or otherwise. And I, I have a favourite here. Yes, you go first. <laughs> well, the movie is so bland, generally, in terms of camera work and acting, tone of acting and so on. But after she's explained her dark past to Will in that sort of scene where they're sort of having a Halloween date in her apartment, mm -hmm. she suddenly has this realisation that she was 17 when the murders happened to her, uh -huh. uh, when she was involved in the last Michael Myers episode, and her son is 17. So you have this this bizarre moment where it crash zooms on his birthday card. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As if this is the only way that she remembers that it's his birthday, which it's like, hello, crappy mother or what. Uh <laughs> also... <laughs> It's, I mean, to give it its credit, it's not quite a crash zoom because it's not a zoom. I think they run towards the birthday card with the camera. But it's right. just stylistically so melodramatic and stupid. And just this mm. idea that she f wigs out over his birthday. Does this even matter anyway? Why does she make that connection that, oh, he's 17, clearly... He's at risk of being stalked by Michael Myers on this day. Why? <laughs> I know. I, I found that scene ridiculous as well because it was supposed to be very dramatic. But why was there any, any correlation? Surely he's <laughs> not just going to attack her every time someone turns 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time there's a birthday in the family, he's there. No, it's stupid. <laughs> How about you? Was there one that made you roar as much as that one did me? I mean, I think it was just the... Uh, I, I mentioned it before. It's when um, LL Cool character, the guard, is in his little booth. And he, he opens the gate and Michael Myers sneaks in somehow and just hides around the corner <laughs> as LL Cool J's kind of not really doing anything. <laughs> Michael Myers is just lurking in the background. Stepping in the frame, <laughs> stepping out of frame, walking past, just looking directly at the camera. Yeah, I was half expecting him to do a little dance at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, terrible. God. And that's our lovely Moobly Awards. Yes. 
Welcome back, listeners. It's that time for the final verdict. Should Halloween H20 be locked up in Smith's Grove Sanitarium for 15 years? Or should it be set free to roam the country in a 1971 Buick Skylark? Conrad, (laughs) what what were your thoughts? Well, I had memories of this movie being not bad. I kind of thought that after Halloween 6, which was kind of a franchise killer, it was terrible. Right. Um, okay. It stars Paul Rudd. It's a fascinating <laughs> film to look at if you... It <laughs> okay. does, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting one to check out. Yeah, so that the franchise has kind of died several times. Uh, it died after three because it wasn't Michael Myers. It died after six because it was terrible. And this was sort of the, for want of a better word, resurrection, because then it died again with resurrection. And then there were two <laughs> Rob Zombie movies uh, yeah. where they tried to start again and that killed them off again. And so I sort of remembered this as sort of like a Phoenix-like rebirth for Michael Myers and a return to former glory. And it is in much the way that the current movie that's in cinemas is sort of a return to form, but only in the sense that it's not terrible, Mm -hmm. not in the sense that it's actually very good. It's sort of trying to capitalise on the 90s trend of postmodern horror because horror was in the doldrums in the 90s, but doesn't go full bore and it doesn't do anything that examines the tropes that it's dealing with in any telling or interesting way, in the same way as, say, Wes Craven's new nightmare completely deconstructed the Freddy Krueger mythos. It doesn't comment on horror movies in any meaningful way in the same way that the original Scream does, certainly, if not maybe the sequels as well. It just sort of does a little bit of that around the edges, but otherwise delivers a really bland slasher movie and not a very good Halloween movie. It has to be said, Michael Myers is not good. The music isn't good. And the music is so important. You can you could tell why they hired John Carpenter and his son to do the score for the new movie, because that's actually the best element of it. Hmm. But this, when you go back and watch it again, it's just really not very good. It's It's not scary. It's not engaging. It's not a good time at the movies. So for me, I'm sorry, I would just lock it back up in Smith's Grove and throw (laughs) away the key with no chance for parole. And I wouldn't transfer it to another hospital because if you do that, he always escapes. So (laughs) I would just leave him there chained up to a cement block and take away his mask Mm. because, yeah, I, I, yeah. This one didn't do it for me. How about yeah. you? I, I mean, hundred percent agree. I've, I've mentioned, bef- I've mentioned before. It just felt like both a cash cow and a, mm. a fan service film. It was just mm. trying to conclude the franchise as well as make some money. It felt rushed. I felt like there were so many um, mm. elements of the film that weren't properly built upon whether it be actually physical set design whether it be um score whether it be even the writing and um at least the characters were interesting but uh, i mean the main characters that is but 
everything else was very cliche and trying so hard to be Scream. Mm. Yeah, I would throw it back in the hole, 100%. Yep. I think we're pretty clear on this one. <laughs> so I'm going to do the honours right now before we yes. think about it anymore. <laughs> okay. Come here, you. Get in there. Stay there. So shout out to <laughs> the <laughs> Super Horror Brothers for <laughs> putting us through the trauma <laughs> of watching H20 again. Uh, I know, I feel bad because these guys really like this movie, I think. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Super Horror Brothers. I can see why you liked it, and I certainly have fond memories of it too, but oh, wow, try watching it again. I, I don't think it's a strong entry in the uh, series. I really don't. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So what will we be looking at next time, Dan? Tell us it's something good. So for next time, it's going to be another double blind episode. Uh, So none of us have watched this film. It is from 1994. So still in the 90s, a horror, I think. (laughs) And it is called Symmetry Man. So it's directed by Michel Suave, who uh, I think Mm. you you said that was in another film that we have talked about. Yes, so we haven't seen a film he's directed, but we have seen him very calmly and patiently wait for somebody to impale him on something. Oh, yes. (laughs) He was the guy in the mask in Demons or Demoni. So so episode two. Yeah, we have seen Michel Soavi before, but we have not seen one of his movies. So we're back to Italy. Yeah, it's it's starring Rupert Everett and a whole mm. bunch of other actors I've never heard of. I only know <laughs> no. Rupert Everett from My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to be interesting seeing him in a horror. Yes, terribly British comedy actor in a horror movie so i'm intrigued right yes Um, me too yeah and this this one was suggested to us by our guest for the next episode uh yeah i'm very excited to talk with him about this because he's uh he's an up-and-coming director of horror films and a rising star so very excited and this is a very important film from his college years so yes he'll have lots to say i I bet yeah interesting stay tuned stay tuned (laughs) hope he shows up (laughs) (laughs) okay well thanks for joining us for our special 13th episode our halloween episode Mm. happy halloween happy halloween to the countries that actually celebrate it because in australia we don't Do you not? <laughs> not really. Only kids really do it. Oh, no, it's not a huge thing here in the UK, but it was where I grew up in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland. Oh. there was a, It was a huge thing. Sam Hain up there, so yeah. Right, right. But yeah, so happy Halloween to those who are out celebrating tomorrow night. And <laughs> let us know what you thought of this particular Halloween movie or which is your favourite Halloween movie. We mm. would love to hear from you. You can talk to us via Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. In all of those cases, we are at Movie Oubliette. If you're not sure how to spell Oubliette, it's... Sorry, I think there's someone heavily breathing in the corner. What was that? Oh, you'll be L-I-E-T-T-B.
Lovely. And if you'd like to email us, we're at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you with uh, comments and suggestions for films that we could cover in future. And please give us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you are using. Uh, It always helps us out because we want more of you to listen to our ramblings on about obscure movies yes we want to take over the world (laughs) yes so that's it for this episode join us next time on movie oubliette my name's dan (laughs) mine's conrad goodbye bye for now we review the films others tend to forget come with us and open up the movie oubliette I'm going to get my nipples pierced.